0: Lot talk radio. Lot talk radio. Lot talk radio. Welcome to Reaching Out Radio International and this week's live broadcast of The Way of Healing. My name is Susan Brozek. I'm a licensed clinical Christian psychotherapist and founder of Healing Word Psychotherapy Services, my private practice located in Meckon, Wisconsin. I want to thank you for joining me tonight. Let's open up this, uh, this evening in prayer. Father God, we just come before Your throne right now, Lord God, and I thank You, Lord, for each person that's listening this evening, Lord. I pray that You would reach out to hearts, Lord God, that Your words would be spoken, Lord, and would penetrate hearts, Lord, for listeners that are um, all over the world, Lord God, that are in Your need of an encourage, uh, need of Your encouraging words to them, Lord. We thank You, God, that um, You can use this time, Lord to especially reach those who are dealing with grief and who are dealing with loss of any kind in their lives, Lord God. I pray especially for those people, Lord, that they would receive from you, Lord God. They'd receive edification from you, encouragement from you, Lord, and the comfort and hope that they need to get through a season of processing grief or loss, Lord. So we just thank you right now, Lord God, for what you're going to do in advance, Lord, and that you'd use me as your vessel, Lord, to speak your words of healing truth, and we just ask now for your anointing to fall heavily on this broadcast and on everything that's spoken, and we submit this to you. May you receive all credit, honor, and glory, in your glorious and holy name, amen. Tonight we're going to be looking at grief and loss, as I alluded to as I was praying, and specifically we're going to look at how to find comfort uh, and hope in the midst of grief and loss and we'll be looking at this topic through a biblical lens um we're going to be looking at scripture as it relates to this topic as the word of god has so much to say um, about the grieving process and about processing through losses that we experience uh, as human beings here on this earth and the whole range of human emotions that accompany um a loss and uh, a a time of grieving uh for example the the passing of a loved one uh the loss of a friendship etc so we're going to be talking about uh grieving death but also losses of all kinds uh because grief doesn't just involve having lost a person that you you've loved but it can be losses such that as a break in relationship loss of a job Um, It could be loss of status in some way, it could be a catastrophic loss um, of a home, maybe in a fire or uh, of possessions during some type of destruct- destructive activity and just uh, different ways that, that people can experience loss really runs the whole gamut of human behavior. So we're not just talking about uh, death tonight, we're talking about losses and disappointments of all kinds. Uh, we're going to look at the stages of grief and loss and how those stages are fluid in other words, people can pass a back and forth between stages of grief, um, whereas there is kind of a notion out there that it gives the impression that we need to grieve in a linear fashion and we need to achieve one level of grief and then when that one's done we move cleanly on to the next level and, and simply it, just, it does not work that way. Uh, grief is messy. And um, I'll be talking about how to not put expectations um, or shame or condemnation on yourself as you go through the grieving process because it looks different for each person. It's also important that we don't judge each other's grief. Just because we might not be feeling a certain way over a particular loss doesn't mean that another person won't feel Um, in that way. And so we want to be careful not to to judge people for the way that they grieve. Um, So another element that we'll be looking at tonight is how we can allow grief and loss to draw us closer to God versus moving us away from him. It's kind of that concept of when you go through a trial, in in this case grief or loss, you can allow it to make you better Or, in some cases, it can make you bitter. And, of course, the goal um, from my perspective is how do we allow grief and loss uh make us better people and draw us closer to God and enable us to more readily reach out to others who are in the process of grief themselves. So we'll be breaking that down as well. And I speak to you tonight tonight uh, not not just as a professional clinician um, that works with clients but also uh, from a personal level I personally have lost um, some very dear people uh, in my own life uh, that have passed on to be with the Lord and um, 18 years ago I lost my father Uh, about a year and a half prior to that I lost my grandfather I also lost a very dear uncle back in the late 80s, and I also lost uh, my father-in-law, my husband's father. So I've been through um, definitely my own share of grief and the grieving process. And in fact, um, my father and grandfather passed away within uh, about 18 months of one another. So um, in my own life, both of them, both of my father figures, Um, were gone within um, a year and a half. So I've walked through this both uh, at an intellectual level uh, and an academic level with clients, but I've also walked through it um, at a very personal level as I've experienced it myself. So just to give you some background on where I'm coming from, uh with this topic and i'd like to start now with two bible verses that i think most people are pretty readily familiar with that have to do with this topic of grief and the first one uh, that i'll read to you is second corinthians 1 3 through 4 blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ the Father of mercies and the God of all comforts, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have received from God. So part of the reason uh, that we go through grief and part of the use that can come from it uh, as we go forward is that the Lord can then use us to minister to someone else who's going through this process uh, because as I said it's very difficult it's an unpredictable process the first year especially is known to be probably the most painful and arduous year um, especially right after the loss of a loved one um, but the uh, challenging component of grief is that it can really arise at any time you may think five, six, seven years down the road after having experienced a loss um, that you've kind of moved beyond it and then there can be something small that might seem insignificant, but yet it triggers you to tears. So that's the sort of peculiar aspect of grief that trips a lot of people up is just when they think they've moved forward, they realize that in fact, Um, They're right back in the thick of it in that moment, uh, missing the person or grieving the particular loss that they've gone through. Um, And what I would like to say about that is all of that is normal. And when we start to judge or think, oh, I should, I should be further along, I shouldn't feel this, I shouldn't be... Having this happen you know so far after the fact, that's really when we get ourselves in trouble, um, because when we put a judgment on what we're already feeling, it puts us in a double bind. It kind of uh, invalidates the very emotions that are trying to be expressed, and then it can end up uh, causing us to become stuck. So another verse that is helpful um, if you're in the midst of grieving right now or have been in the past is from Matthew verse uh, chapter 5, verse 4, which says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And the comfort that that verse speaks about is from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He's saying that when we're mourning, that he will be our comforter. And so part of tonight's broadcast is to encourage you that um, the Lord God sees what you're going through. He himself has experienced loss and grief and pain. Uh, Jesus on earth, um, when he, his friend Lazarus died, the, our, the word of God says that he wept. The shortest verse in the Bible, but also very poignant verse, uh, because it expresses that our Savior understood and felt that same grief and that same um, that same remorse uh, over having lost a loved one, and certainly, when God the Father um, watched His own Son uh, be crucified for us on the cross, um, the, the the emotions that must He must have felt are, are far beyond what we can even begin to experience here in our earthly lives but just knowing that he sympathizes with what we go through really adds a level of comfort um, as we work our way through the grieving process. So I want to kind of start out today by giving you in the clinical field um, what is considered to be sort of the high watermark or the the standard, the protocol that clinicians use for assessing people who are in the midst of grief. And a lot of you might have heard of a woman by the name of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She's noted for her five stages of grief. And I'm going to read those to you. Um, The first stage is denial or shock. And this is immediately after the loss. So people will go through a period of time where it doesn't feel real. They may even believe that the loved one is still around. They may even be looking for the loved one to come home after work as he or she usually would, et cetera. So there's a real, and, and really this is a buffer that's given from God um, to cushion the impact of grief uh, because it, it can be overwhelming. There is a phenomenon in the clinical field called broken heart syndrome, and that's when the loss of a loved one is so overwhelming that they simply cannot contain their grief, and uh, sometimes this happens in the case of long married spouses where one spouse passes away and then shortly thereafter the other one passes um, and a lot of times doctors will will admit that um, it it is due to a broken heart, um, and so this denial and shock phase really acts as a cushion against that initial um, realization that the loved one is gone. It kind of eases a person into uh, the fact that um, the loved one or the situation is is no longer there. Um, so denial and shock um, can involve um, avoidance, confusion, and fear. There's a number of things that that, that can involve. Um, and again, I'm not going to put time frames on this because that's part of the problem um, is that we tend to want nice, neat boxes for grief and the ability to um, understand it better and understand how long each step should take. But I'm coming from a slightly different perspective tonight in that I'm wanting to validate lengths of time in the sense that God customizes how long it's going to take for each of us to get through the grieving process. So don't put um, a limitation or an expectation on yourself in that way. The second stage that uh, Kubler-Ross identifies in the grief cycle is anger, and this has to do with frustration, anxiety, irritation, etc. So that that's after denial and shock. Um, after anger comes this bargaining phase. Um, this is where the person is really struggling to find meaning with the loss of the person. This is also uh, part uh, of the, the process where they may begin to bargain with God and say, Lord, if you'll bring my loved one back, I will change such and such aspect of my life or so forth. Um, so bargaining involves different components components along those lines, uh, but really it, it um, lands on struggling to find a reason or meaning for the loss. Um, from there, uh, the depression phase enters, and this is where the person is just emotionally overwhelmed. Um, they're feeling helplessness. Um, they're feeling hostility at times. Their Their desire is to just flee and run away, to try to make the pain stop using escapist mechanisms to try to cope. Um, And then finally, the last stage is acceptance. And this is um, kind of self-explanatory, but it's the the stage that's reached I don't want to say when grief is complete, because I'm not sure that it ever is, but it is sort of the last formal stage of identified grief um, at which point the individual moves forward and Moves on with their lives, and sometimes they do so in a in a fashion in which they may commemorate um, the anniversary of an individual's death or of a particular loss. They may become sort of a crusader for a cause in the name of the person who has passed. Um, They may take up, for example. Um, maybe they're running a marathon on the anniversary of the person's death if the person died of cancer, for example. So there's different productive ways that people can cope with um, the grief and loss of a loved one once they get to that acceptance phase. But it's so important to go through the other phases first and not um, jump immediately to, well, I'm over it now. I just want to bring good out of it. And I've, I've seen clients do that, and really what that does is it First of all, it doesn't work. Secondly, they wind up, um, because they haven't processed the grief, the grief ends up leaking out later on uh, in their lives in various ways that aren't healthy. So it is so crucial to allow yourself uh, and be patient with yourself and give yourself time to grieve. Um, there is also another set of stages of grief that I want to talk through with you today that aren't limited to just five. There's different models for this. And I'd like to break down the Kubler-Ross cycle um, where she states five basic stages. And I'd like to dig deeper than that and actually talk about 12 different components of grief, whether you want to call these stages or elements or, or aspects or characterizations. These are all aspects of grief. Um, that can be identified in almost every person who's going through a loss. So um, one stage and the first stage uh, in this particular model is also denial. And a a definition of that, um, there's several definitions actually that I want to read to you, and some of these might resonate. Um, One is choosing to believe a fairy tale you or someone else has made up in an effort to avoid the painful, dreaded truth. Denial can also mean the act of pushing truth away to avoid pain. It can mean avoiding or not accepting what is real or true. It can mean refusing to admit the truth about something unpleasant. It can mean refusal to accept your reality. And it can be anything that blinds you from seeing truth. And it can also mean the avoidance of reality realized. So denial is what cushions our first stage. So you might not understand your own denial or someone else's denial, but you can love that person through it. And you can even love yourself through it and let the Lord love you through it. So if you are a companion of somebody who's grieving right now, just some tips for you, instead of saying to them something along the lines of, well, you just need to accept your new situation, let it become your new normal, those types of things, try instead saying, I know that this is really hard for you. That's a great way to validate someone who's in the midst of grief without judgment and without telling them how they should feel or should not feel. So that's the first stage in this model. The second stage is pain, and pain um, has some interesting definitions, and one of those is the cry of the heart in both physical and emotional areas in which words are not able to express, and God's word talks about um groanings that are too deep for utterance that that the Holy Spirit can understand that when we're in so much emotional anguish, we might not be able to form words, but the Lord is right there with us to help us through that time. Another definition of pain is the Lord's tool of refinement. And that might be a challenging one for you to hear, but in many ways, the Lord will use grief, loss, and pain as he is maturing and growing new. And it might not be obvious at first, nor would he expect it to be, but that is also an element of pain that I think is often overlooked. And another definition of pain is the aftermath reality of a very adverse and horrible event. So if you're a companion to someone who's in pain, instead of saying to them, I know how much you're hurting... Try saying this must be very sad, difficult, and painful for you. The problem when you say, I know what you're going through or I know how much this hurts is the immediate reaction the other person is to say inside, no, you don't. (laughs) You have no idea what I'm going through. You haven't felt this. You haven't lost a a parent or, or whatever the situation might be. So try to avoid saying, I know how you feel. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that in, in in and of itself, but it doesn't minister to the heart in the same way that words of validation, such as "This must be very sad and painful and hard for you," those, those are words that that really um, really validate the emotions that are going through the person who's grieving. Versus saying, "Hey, I know I know what this feels like," because their first instinct is to say, "No, you don't know." <laughs> Um, As we move forward to the third stage, um, we identify that as guilt. And so some definitions of guilt is a gnawing deep down inside your gut that you could have done more to prevent something bad. Another definition of guilt is slavery to self-condemnation. And one thing that I want to say here about guilt is that guilt complicates and arrests the grieving process. So this is testament to how important it is to get issues resolved with an individual as soon as you can, not necessarily waiting until they're on their deathbed, but if that is the case, it's best to get something resolved than to have regrets because there are so many people I work with at my practice who have regrets that they wish they could have said a certain statement to a loved one before that person passed on, and they will proceed to beat themselves up over it. And that that guilt and that um, self-condemnation really complicates their ability to move forward in their grief process. So I can't stress enough how important it is to have relationship issues resolved, even if there's been tremendous hurt and pain, and even if it involves tremendously sacrificial forgiveness, it's much better to have that resolution before someone passes on than to have them go to their their death and... Uh, then you have nowhere to go with those words that weren't expressed. And if that is the case, though, for you today, if there's somebody, somebody listening that wishes they could have said or done something or wish, wishes maybe that they wouldn't have said a certain mm-hmm. remark, the best way to resolve that is to actually write a letter to the deceased person, just pouring out your heart. Now, obviously, they're not going to receive it, but it's an exercise that, will help you process the emotion in your own heart and in your own life. And that will free you up to move forward with grief. So if you or someone you love is going through the guilt stage of grief, um, instead of saying, it's not your fault, try saying instead, tell me about it. So try to you know, engage them in a conversation where you create an emotionally safe environment in which they feel free to talk to you about why they might have guilt that uh, this person has passed away or a certain situation has ended the way that it has. Again, we're not just talking about death, but um, for ease of of conversation, I'm I'm focusing in on that. But understand that there are so many other types of losses too where the same level of grief can occur and the same kind of components or stages, if you will, are applicable. Uh, Moving on to the fourth stage uh, in the grieving process, and that is anger. We touched on this briefly under Elizabeth Kubler-Ross a few minutes ago, but some further definitions of anger include an internal fire that burns, and another definition is a short madness. So with anger, it can be like a hot flash in a pan, uh, or it can be sort of a slow-burning undercurrent, um, and but in either case, it needs to be dealt with. Um, and this is the phase usually that uh, people tend to turn to unhealthy coping mechanisms um, when they're dealing with grief. When they hit the anger stage, they have pretty much run out of options. If they're not running towards the Lord and asking for his healing, and and sometimes even if they are, where they may turn to some coping mechanisms that are destructive in some way or unhealthy for them. So um, I, I, I in particular, keep a very close watch on people that are in the anger stage. There's also um, some disappointment with God, anger at God that happens in this stage, and that is okay and it's normal, and a lot of people feel guilt if they feel anger, and then I point them to the psalms, and we talk about how David expressed his anger towards God. Um, and and David was known as the man after God's own heart. Um, so it's okay to express your anger to God. He's big enough to take it. So if you know somebody, or if you yourself are in the anger phase of grief, instead of saying, why are you so angry at everyone or everything or me or other people, Try saying instead, what can I do to help you work this through? Because that way you're sort of opening the door, putting it back on them, and saying what would be most useful to you right now Um, versus why are you angry? We already know why they're angry. They've had a a tremendous loss of some kind. And so asking them why um, has already been answered. So a better question is how. And the how question involves you really getting into it with them and offering your presence and your, your support during that time. Uh, moving on to the fifth stage of the grieving process, this is bargaining. As we talked about also, it parallels a bit with um, the Kubler-Ross model. Bargaining, some definitions are uh, a vain attempt to strike a deal with God. As I mentioned before, Lord, if you give me back my loved one, I'll do such and such. Another definition is trading one pain for another, And a third definition is haggling with God about something you want, but understanding that he knows what's best for you. So this is a stage where the person is beginning to see some glimmers of hope at getting through to the other side, but they're still trying to get their loved one back or they're still trying to get their job back or they're still trying to get a previous relationship back, whatever the case may be. So if you know someone who's going through this, instead of saying, wow, you really didn't deserve this, try saying instead, I know that this does not feel fair. Uh, because when you get to their feelings, you want to you want to validate their feelings. And um, the fact of the matter is, man was not born to die. In the Garden of Eden, before sin entered, man was actually destined to not have to deal with death at all. Uh, man was created for immortality meaning to not have to go through death however um when rebellion and sin entered death entered along with it so these are all issues that we're talking about on tonight's broadcast that god never ideally intended for us to have to go through so just to get a bigger perspective on it uh the sixth stage of uh grief is depression and i mentioned this before as well um My definition that I use frequently in sessions is depression is anger turned inward. If you are angry and you stuff it and you don't allow yourself to express it in a healthy way, um, it very easily can, down the road, turn into depression. Another definition of it is the inability to construct a future. Um, And also, depression can be seen as a long-term sadness. Um, So, again, if you're dealing with someone that's grieving, um, instead of saying you need to stop crying all the time and try to start living again, um, try saying instead it's okay to be sad right now. I can't tell you how powerful it is to have it said to you that it's okay. Um, There's someone that I admire, uh, Sheila Wells, she just wrote a book called It's Okay, could not be okay (laughs) and I just think that there's so much power in that because we have these expectations of ourselves and of one another that we need to have everything fixed and under control and uh, within a certain you know appropriate time frame who sets that I still don't know but we have this sense that hey I have to be all right I have to to keep it together I have to be fine I have to everything has to be all good all the time that's not real life and so I just want to say that it is okay not to be okay, especially when you're in the middle of grief. Uh, moving on to step seven here, of uh, the stages of grief. This stage is identified uh, in this particular model as looking back. And looking back is defined as reflecting, living in nostalgia instead of living in the present, and the bittersweet process of revisiting and remembering. So a lot of people spend a lot of their grieving process time in this stage with a lot of remembering, and it looks different for each person. You might be playing music, for example, of a loved one that's passed away um, that reminds you of him or her, and you might stay in this this stage for a while, and that's okay. Um, You might visit places that you know that they love. Um, if it's a loss of a job or something like that, you might spend time thinking about different aspects of that job. So this is sort of that sentimentality, the nostalgia, revisiting the nostalgia of of the loss. And once again, it's so important um, to not judge the length of time a person is in this. Now, obviously, if someone is you know, stuck in grief of any stage for, for years and years and years and years and years and they're not able to function in daily life, then clearly a corner has been turned and there needs to be intervention of some kind. But uh typically these these phases pass and they're fluid and you might move, you know, from looking back back into depression. Maybe you go back into bargaining for a bit, but then you're back to loneliness or transition so they go back and forth it's not a nice neat linear trajectory by any means however as long as there is movement that is progress what i worry about the most is when someone gets stuck and when when you're stuck there isn't movement and that's when red flags go up so if someone is in the looking back stage you might say to them I'm here for you when you're ready, instead of saying, you just need to accept this and move on. Um, I can't tell you how many people I've worked with who have um, told me that they were counseled by someone else or or given the advice just to, you need to just deal and move on. And that's about the worst thing you can say to somebody who's grieving because they already know (laughs) that at some point they're going to move on, but they have no idea how. And so to give them um, a proposition like that at a time when they can't handle it is just going to muddy the waters uh, all the more for them and bring them a lot of hurt and frustration. Uh, Moving on to the eighth stage, uh, this stage is identified by many as loneliness. And loneliness is defined as the awareness of a hole resulting from missing or needing someone the achy emptiness that reminds you of a great loss and overwhelming discontentment with being alone. So this is a stage in which um, if you see a person isolating themselves and refusing any type of social interaction for long periods of time, again, that for me is something to keep a close eye on. But realize that the feeling of loneliness after you've lost a loved one is absolutely normal and to be expected. Um, It's a matter of does the person get stuck there? Remember, it's always are they stuck versus do you see eventual movement into other aspects of grief. So when someone's lonely, instead of saying, I've been there, I get it, try saying, I'm here with you, I'm listening. Um, The problem with saying, I've been there, I get it, I mean, that's, that's great. They know that, that you have an understanding. But what we, we want to do first and foremost is what can we offer them? And what you can offer someone who's lonely is I'm here with you. You're offering presence, your presence. There's something to be said for this concept of ministry of presence, and I've talked about this on previous broadcasts, both radio and television, that um, just going and sitting with someone, who's in grief, just going and being there with them, even if it's just for a few minutes. You don't even have to necessarily have a conversation, but just sitting there, maybe going out, getting their mail for them, maybe running an errand, just being there speaks volumes. And in many ways, actions, once again, prove to speak louder than words when it comes to bringing comfort um, to a grieving heart. Uh, moving on to the ninth stage, uh, as we're wrapping up here this evening, uh, the ninth stage can can be known as the transition stage. And a transition is a passage from one place of being to another. It is the place between not anymore and not yet. And it's also a prelude to transformation. So this is the stage where the person is kind of beginning to really come to terms with the loss. They're no longer in shock or denial. They've moved past the anger part. They've moved past even, for the most part, depression, although, like I said before, these stages are fluid and you can move in and out and back and forth to an extent as you progress. Uh, But this is a stage that's really starting to show that they are getting back to somewhat of a routine in their lives that looks a little bit more um predictable than had it been before the person uh or when the person had passed so a person who is in a place of transition um you might want to try saying to them i want to be here for you through for the long haul take your time versus something like you'll get over this before you know it or you'll get through this before you know it because that kind of puts sort of a a subtle pressure that, okay, I need to hurry up and transition and we can't force ourselves or our emotions to do that. So it's really helpful to yourself if you're going through it or to a loved one to say, take your time, just let it be what it is. There's no rush here, this is not a sprint, and it's not even a race, it's a process. The 10th stage, as we look at grieving, is rebuilding. And the definition of that is to restrengthen, reinforce, reshape, or reorganize. Um, You'll notice that all four of those words start with the prefix of re, uh, which means again, um, so it 's once again strengthening, once again enforcing once again shaping, and once again organizing, if you will. Rebuilding is also the opportunity to give yourself completely to God to be rebuilt. Um, so as you say to the lord okay i 've gone through thus far, what would you want to do in my life at this point is extremely valuable for you and also to God as it gives God the full opportunity to use this experience, even though it was incredibly painful, and still bring the best out of it. And that is not going to happen overnight. That's something that will take time. Uh, but as you yield and submit to the Holy Spirit's working in your life and in your heart, um, he can rebuild you and rebuild aspects of yourself that maybe you didn't even know needed rebuilding. Um, And along with that, of course, he rebuilds your life um, after the loss of your loved one. So um, when going through the rebuilding phase, um, instead of saying, um, again, that um, you'll be done with this before you know it, you want to reiterate again that I'm here while you go through this part. I'm here to help you if there are changes you want to make. How can I help you? So it's not telling someone what to do. Please don't tell them what you think they need to change, um, but rather offer that if they see something that they want help with, that you're there to be that person to help them with it. Going on now to the second to last stage, the 11th stage, and this is acceptance. And this parallels what we talked about with Kubler-Ross. It's defined as total surrender to God and admission that he has a perfect plan in all of this grief and loss. And that's a lot easier said than done, and I do realize that. Um, but full surrender to God is really the, the quickest way through a test or trial of any kind. Not that we're trying to get through this quickly, but if you are surrendered to the Lord, there's so much that he wants you to learn that's even beyond just healing from grief. And that will be made known as time goes on. Um, The fruit from that will be born as seasons change down the road, and you'll begin to see what he did in and through you during your process of grieving. Um, Acceptance is also defined as relinquishing all individual self-will. And basically what that means is saying to the Lord, not my will, but yours be done, and just letting him have his way in your life. So um, if you're in this stage or someone you know is, um, a good thing to say is, I don't know how to make this better, but I'm going to stay close if you need me. And if it's regarding yourself, it's saying, I'm going to stay close to God as long as this takes because God's going to make it better for me as I cling to him. So something you don't want to say to an individual that's in this is, don't you think it's time to move on? Um, That, again, is putting pressure on them um, and causing them to kind of prematurely abort the process that God has them in. Uh, So we always want to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. Uh, Turning now to the 12th and final stage uh, in this model of grief, and this stage is hope. So hope is desired, uh, I'm sorry, is defined by a desirous expectation of renewal and or restoration. Also defined as the belief that good is attainable regardless of how bad things have been. Uh, Defined as deep trust with confidence in our best future from God and also expecting the impossible to become possible. And so when you've reached that stage of hope, you've reached a place where you've come out of the darkness primarily And you're beginning to see the light again, and dawn is breaking, the sun is shining, and you're beginning to feel joy return. And, again, this can take many, 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 many months. It can take years. You can have glimpses of hope all throughout the grieving process. But when you finally sort of arrive at this stage, um, the predominant emotion that you begin to start to feel is one of hopefulness. to hopelessness which is what defines the uh, first few stages of grief so um, when a person is beginning to enter back into their hopeful stages try offering them companionship and comfort don't get preachy at them or give them traits or cliched platitudes about it that that serves to irritate people Um, instead just offer your companionship your friendship um, and your positive words, uh, maybe even something along the lines of the fact that you've seen what they've walked through, and you're proud of them for having the courage and the bravery uh, to face their loss and to face it strongly and to come through on the other side. So those are just uh, a few thoughts I could go on indefinitely on this topic uh, about grief and loss and how to walk yourself through it and how to help a loved one walk through it, perhaps, if that's the case for you. Um, And that's all the time that we've got left for tonight. And I just want to thank you so much for listening this evening. Um, I sure hope you'll join me again in two weeks for my next broadcast If you'd like to contact me directly at Healing Word, which is my private practice, please feel free to call 414-254-9862. And if you're interested in receiving a further resource on grief or loss, please visit my website at www.healing-word.com and click on Comfort for the Grieving. A lot of the topics that I discussed this evening are from a book that I co-authored last year with a group of phenomenal uh, women, and it's called A Few Words of Comfort for the Grieving. It's available, available for purchase on my website if you should be interested. But above all, thank you again for listening. I pray that this broadcast minister to you and that the Lord uses it in your heart and in your walk with him, and my prayers go out to you if you are in the midst of grief or loss of any kind. May God's richest blessings be upon you.